This is your host, Mimi. I'm back with a solo episode. So, on the first episode, I introduced the podcast and what to expect. And on this episode, I want to introduce myself a little bit more on a human level. I want to share my background and some of the challenges that I faced in my entrepreneurial journey that made me who I am today to give you context for the lessons to come in the next episodes. They say some people die in fires and others are born from it. I believe we're all born with a divine fire in us and it's up to us to give it wings and rise from the ashes like a phoenix. So I really wanted to break down my journey of growth and entrepreneurship for you, kind of like a resume style. So I'm going to tell you how one thing kept leading to another and how I kept dancing with the universe, basically rolling with the punches and finding an opportunity in every challenge. Until not too long ago, when I started my personal healing journey and started to make sense of things and why certain things happened the way they did. That's one positive thing that came out of being in lockdown and forced to sit still and process emotions from years of being on survival mode, pretty much living on autopilot, to experiencing adrenal fatigue, which is commonly known as burnout, Me and my husband, who is also my business partner, burnt out both at the same time, right after we hit our first million dollar year, unexpectedly in 2019 due to a sale of a business asset that we had built. But that's a story for another day. This is my business origin story. Certain things can only be understood backwards. I barely understand everything now. But I trust that his plan will be greater than ours every single time. I believe in destiny, but I also believe in free will. The person I am now is an end result of decisions and choices I have made that led me there or here. And I love it here. I see everything much clearer and I want to share my views with you. This is not the kind of story we tell in order to get a sale, just making it clear. This is not to make myself look good or to gain whatever it is that people... This is not basically, this is not the highlights of my journey. This is the lowlights, if that makes sense. It's pure heart. And I'm sharing the emotional journey and thoughts that I was experiencing at the time. By the way, trigger warning, if... Physical abuse makes you uncomfortable. Maybe you should stop listening now. According to my human design chart, I am a multi-passionate rebel who learns from personal experience, trial, and error. I'm also genetically programmed to discover in my life all the things that do not work. At first, that sounds negative to our minds, but there's something there for me. And by learning to accept that about myself and use it to my advantage, I switched my perspective in saying, why is this happening to me from a place of victimhood and pessimism to what is this trying to teach me from a place of neutral curiosity? 
I may say the exact words. Why is this happening to me? But look, at, listen to it this way. Listen to the tone. Why is this happening to me? And why is this happening to me? Like one is a victim and one is just curious. Maybe I should be even more neutral, but I'm just trying to make a point here. So let me trace back. Not sure if you can hear the barking. That's my little Frenchie and that's my Uber Eats delivering. Let's wait for her to stop. All right, she's gone. So I was saying, it is not what you say, it's how you say it. It's the vibration of it. Is it coming from a place of love or is it from a place of fear? Love is the medicine for fear. So asking why is this happening to me from a place of curiosity and openness to receive an answer and take full responsibility for my actions, my thoughts, my feelings, and decisions I have made or not made prior to that thing happening that have led to me going through that experience again. And what do I need to learn in order to release that pattern and paradigm shift? I don't want to be stuck in that pattern or that reality anymore. It's kind of like in school. You learn, you take tests. If you pass, you go to the next level. But if you don't pass, you repeat and you keep repeating until you learn the lesson and you pass the test. <clears throat> in order for me to change my reality, I got to think different and move different. Every action has a reaction. Every effect in the universe has a cause and a starting point. Your thoughts, behaviors, and actions create specific effects that manifest and create your life as you know it. If you are not happy with the effects you have created, then you must change the causes that have created them in the first place. To be honest, I wasn't aware of any of this until recently. So this is literally me going over my own entrepreneurial journey and looking at it from this new perspective in an attempt to find lessons I may have missed being on autopilot the first time. And also to set the stage for the upcoming episodes, you need to understand where I come from in order to understand where I'm going in my huge vision for the future. P.S. It involves you. Because I am you, I was you, and now I'm in a better place and I want to guide you on your journey here because you are another me and I love you. We are all connected. Separation is the greatest illusion ever created. I subscribe to love and one humanity and I want to transmit my lessons to you throughout this podcast. I'm turning my mess into my message this is the shadow of my growth and entrepreneurship journey, the invisible part, mixed up with conversations that I have with other women like us who are doing the damn thing and have created or are on their way to creating a life and business they're obsessed with and switching off from surviving to thriving. If I can help just one woman believe in herself, turn her pain into power, change her perspective into the quantum model of reality, which says everything is energy. Everything is always in flow. 
nothing is ever set in stone. Time is a man-made construct. Time is not linear. Even nature has its seasons. Money and power are not inherently bad. There is no such thing as good or bad. It's all a matter of perspective. Perspectives. <laughs> we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to it. We can learn from the past, get inspired in the present to manifest a better future. I choose the path of unity instead of duality. Um, I'm a financial feminist. I want to live in a world where there is more money and power in the hands of good people and good-hearted women. And it's a common and normal thing to see women have it all, a successful business, a loving partner who's not threatened by it, a healthy little family, or as big or little as you want it to be, a long relationship and healthy relationship that lasts because of love and not fear. Being able to afford family vacations, eat the best organic quality foods, and really just enjoy the best of what life has to offer. This is why I'm doing this podcast, and I'm going first. So here it goes. And even if no one ever ends up listening to this, this is still great free therapy for me. So here it goes. <laughs> Let's start with my personal background. So I'm born and raised in Morocco, and I immigrated with my family to Canada in September 2010. I was 16 years old at the time. I spoke Arabic most of my life. I learned a little bit of French and a little bit of English in school, but really like basic level. And then I found myself integrating a French-Canadian high school Every single class was in French. Well, well obviously. <laughs> but it was a very different French from the one I learned growing up. If you don't know, French from Quebec and French from France sound completely different. And even the words are different. And now I have to solve math problems in a French and take every class in a French I barely understand. Especially the fact that we came in two weeks after the school has started, I got bullied so hard. People in school made fun of my clothes, my accent, my lunch, my way of being. In an attempt to make friends, I got a secret Facebook account because I wasn't allowed using Facebook. My parents thought it was a dating site and only prostitutes go on there. I'm not sure if any of you have ever experienced something like this. Well, well, I feel like I'm alone in the world with parents who feel like that. And now I see my parents with my sisters and they're completely different. So I guess I just had to go through that. But anyways, back to the story. I had a secret account with a different name than my real name so that my parents can't find my account. But that made it harder for my few friends to recognize my profile when I would send them friend requests. I gotta be honest though, I kind of got a little carried away. I sent a friend request to every single person who have ever attached their Facebook profile to the school because I actually didn't even realize that there was a hierarchy and you can't just be friends with everybody or especially not the older kids. 
naturally, I got a lot of rejections. People were saying things like, do I know you? And my smart ass was replying as I'm trying to have to make friends. I'm being sarcastic by saying, like, what do you expect? Like, not yet. I don't know you yet. But isn't that the point of sending a friend request on a social media platform? The Facebook etiquette was definitely different between my friends groups in Morocco and the people I was trying to befriend here. The cultural differences showed in how I interacted with people and how I expected people to interact back with me. Even the boys, oh my God, in Morocco, when you walk in the streets, you can't get through a block without at least, at least one person catcalling you. I hated it when I lived there, of course, but now I'm in my new high school. I've been here for months. And nobody pays attention to me like, what What the fuck? Is it me? Are they too cold? Am I not hot enough? Like, not even a little bit? Come on. My confidence took a hit for a while until later on that I learned that people here have crushes in secret. I don't even know. I don't understand the concept of secret. I don't. I have crushes out loud. But anyways, the point is, I didn't fit in. I got rejected a lot. I got bullied, and I let that push me to let go of everything that has made me me and start my blending in journey. I didn't want to look or sound like an outsider anymore. Meanwhile, at home we were facing different challenges, mostly financial, since the move wasn't exactly what they expected and it wasn't as easy to get the jobs they came here for. Let's go back to my parents' background. My parents both came from humble families and both left their original cities to join the army as soon as they turned 18 to support their families because the army was a guaranteed job. So that's where they met. They both worked on planes. My mom was an aircraft mechanic and my dad was an electrician on the aircraft too. So they were both equal, they fell in love and they got married. Then mom got selected to serve as an air hostess for, a, uh, for the royal family of Morocco and their VIP guests. So that's when things got interesting. She started to travel the world, stay at some of the best hotels in the world, and meet some really important people. This opened up her eyes and her world and her families and everybody she was connected to, to a whole new world of luxury. So sometimes these people, these VIP guests that she would work with and the family, the royal family, they would gift her stuff. So think of it like a tip for good service, but instead of leaving cash, they had these government favors. So to give you an example, her favorite gift was getting a taxi license. Usually for someone to be a taxi driver, they need this license, which costs a lot of money to buy. But the people who can't afford it, they can lease it. And that's when my mom comes in handy. She leases them out to people. So she makes money on each transaction of each taxi 
and also for renewals basically every 10 years. So technically, <laughs> this could have made us rich if she would have kept every single one of them for us or our direct family, but she only kept one and regifted tens more to extended family members and some strangers who were more in need than us because she was just thinking in abundance and as soon as she's working she was gonna keep getting them and if like she would just give them to people who are more in need then she she's the most selfless person ever but it's not necessarily a good thing anyways so because of the nature of her job she had to travel a lot and sometimes for days at a time which was fine at first when it was just her and my dad because he was busy too. But then they started having kids. Me at first, and then two years later, my brother, and then two years later, again, another brother. And basically I was told since the day I remember that we were not wanted. My parents never wanted kids. They were career people. They actually aborted the kid who came right before me. But my mom regretted it and she couldn't do it again. So here I am. <laughs> this might sound weird to you, but I felt guilty for existing. Like I ruined my parents' life for just being born. Anyways, they had to find a way to care for us. So we had nannies and housekeepers. And by the way, this is a normal thing in Morocco. Even middle class families get help. When both parents work, of course, you gotta hire help to help. Well, that, yeah, anyways. So, my dad not getting nearly the same privileged experience in the army, he grew resentful and took it out on us at home. And to fix his wounded ego, my mom quit her full time job to be a full time mom. And soon after, my dad also quit his job to follow his dreams of studying law and becoming a university or college professor. And most importantly, the main provider at home. He wanted success of his own. He wanted to feel like the man, whatever that means. Because I feel like the man means different things for different people. But I think we all know <laughs> what what he meant by it right like the main provider that's why I say that so that's when everything changed the dynamics at home and our lifestyle we went from two revenues to no revenue only depending on residual income from assets we owned like taxis and real estate and we had to pay for my dad's school well we <laughs> my mom had to pay for dad's schooling in a great university in France. And high education is expensive. We sacrificed everything for my dad to get it so that he can change our future again for the better. But instead of my mom traveling alone, we will be able to travel all together as a family one day. That was our goal. So to make ends meet, we sold our cute little apartment in a great neighborhood and my mom sold her individual real estate investments to buy a bigger home, but in a bad neighborhood, like 
the hood, you know? It was actually the most neighborhood in the city. <laughs> Not even in the city. It actually goes on uh, on TV. My grandparents were so upset. And my mom, they're like, why there? <laughs> they were so upset. Because she gave up everything she ever built. Like all of her passive income streets, everything. So like s- small, so condos. And because my grandparents lived in Marrakesh, but we lived in Rabat. That's about eight hours drive. So my mom had her own apartment in Marrakesh. So whenever we go there, or she used to go there because this was before us or we were very young at the time she would go there and she would instead of just staying with my grandparents she would stay at her condo and like most of the time she would get these gifts for like the best hotels and invite all of her family and you know for us my grandparents this is something we've never had and they've never had so going to the best resorts and hotels I mean google La Mamounia in Marrakesh you'll see it's really like creme de la creme and for humble people like us middle class everyday workers like like us and my family all of my family were all like humble people for us to be staying at places like that and be treated like VIPs that was a life-changing thing so the whole family's life has changed ever since my mom got that lifestyle and now she gave it up not only for her for us for my extended family everybody nobody could come to visit us anymore because now we were literally in the ghetto and they were scared for their lives (laughs) they're like they can't just come all the way eight hours drive to come see us and then stay there so we stopped seeing them for a while and to top it off Well, obviously we dropped the nannies and the housekeepers, but now I had to drop off private school and go to public high school in the same neighborhood. Like no more private driver for me, picking me up from home and bringing me to school. Now I have to walk 30 minutes in a dangerous road where I heard stories, horror stories of girls getting raped and kidnapped left and right. It's like, I felt like, you know, you're taking a dog that has been sheltered all its life for years and you're throwing it in the jungle. Well, I was scared for my life, but (laughs) I survived like always. (laughs) I actually made friends with some gangsters and I got protection. But anyways, back to my story. (laughs) Mom got pregnant again. My dad hated it because we couldn't afford it. And me as a kid, seeing all the problems that came from my mom getting pregnant, and I just associated having babies to everything coming crashing down and husbands getting angry and growing distant and cheating while moms being desperate for the sake of the baby growing inside her and chasing him down, forgiving the unforgivable for the sake of keeping the family together. My sister was born literally exactly the day of my birthday, 10 years later, so it's easy for me to calculate. I was less than 10 years old, seeing my mom go from being a boss and a respectable independent woman who was with my dad for love by choice, not only staying because she's in it too deep. She's way too invested to get out now. The ROI is not good. <laughs> what do I think about 
personal things like a business. But I feel like there are some similarities there. I told them back then that their relationship was dysfunctional and it's affecting us negatively as kids. But who's going to listen to a 10 years old? I was obviously just dismissed as like a teenager who's trying to get rid of her dad so that she can go out and party and turn into a hoe basically because that's the worst thing you could ever be according to my family if you just say no or disagree or have or have your own opinion or not share the same opinion you're a hoe <laughs> then mom got pregnant again with her fifth baby that just pushed my dad over the edge so much shame and guilt on my mom's end and fear And so much anger and frustration on my dad's end. I was experiencing this as a kid and it traumatized me. Both on the financial side, thinking that money is the reason my family broke up. Or was it babies? What if my mom would have gotten pregnant after my dad got the job? Here's the thing. After my first sister was born, my dad got his first doctorate degree. We had a big party with the whole extended family and everyone celebrated because with this degree, he can get a great job and we can have a great lifestyle or at least our old lifestyle back. So he applied at universities and two of them called back offering him a temporary contract, basically as a replacement. But after this six month trial is over, An official role will open up and will make you official and put you on payroll, they said. Having not worked for a couple years, it made sense to him to start working pretty much for free for a short period of time before getting an official contract. It was all worth it. It was a way in and he didn't mind working his way in. I gotta give credit when credit is due. <laughs> My dad worked hard and he really wanted to be a great provider who takes care of his family. It's a noble thing, really. But the reality was different. Six years has passed and he's still not getting paid. He kept teaching law to students who graduated their masters to become great lawyers while he was still not getting paid. Hoping the next season or whatever they're called in college, you know, like the year, year season, whatever, the board will make him official and pay him his worth. But every time somebody else came along and got the job because they paid their way in, or they know someone who knows someone who knows someone. My dad insisted on earning it on merit and not by paying someone. Or maybe asking my mom to make one call and he could get that job. But he really wanted to earn it on his own merit. Because the, the point of this whole thing was for him to feel a certain feeling. And that wasn't going to happen if he was going to fake it. He wanted us, and especially her, to be proud of him. He was more than qualified for the role and did a great job at it. But... That did nothing for the men in power because they got nothing out of it. So he was disappointed and he decided he was ready for the American dream. And seeing him go through the pain and also fed up of the pain overflowing from him and being taken out on us, my mom finally decided 
and she agreed to leave Morocco for the Americas. We picked Montreal, Quebec, Canada because of the French language because my parents speak zero English. The immigration process was easy for us because my dad's degree was wanted in Canada. Imagine if he ended up getting the job in Morocco. I would have basically never been here. Imagine if my mom would have made the decision to split earlier, even a year earlier. I would have still not been here. And I wouldn't be who I am today. So many things that I hated at the time happened and I didn't really understand. But I'm so grateful they happened the way they did because it all worked itself out for the best. So when we came here, my dad applied for jobs online, he passed interviews, and when it came to the official recruiting process, they had to stop because the system doesn't recognize his degrees, and he would need to go through another process to get them validated, and that process takes about one to two years. Surprise! <laughs> Even in Canada, he's still a little time away from his dream career. He was even angrier, more embarrassed, understandably so. So was my mom. She also hadn't worked in years, especially building and fixing aircrafts. She's not going to be, um, I mean, a flight attendant. She wears the hijab now, so that's impossible. She wasn't going to get that job. But fixing planes, that wasn't going to happen either. But now they have five kids in school who just went through a hard transition because it took time for them to find out they couldn't get jobs. Well, for my dad especially. It took time. It took about three months before he even found out. And uh, we were already in school. We had already sold everything back home to move to Canada. We were already here. We already told everybody back home that we're here. And, you know, a lot of people had opinions. Don't go, go, whatever. So we couldn't just go back. That just felt wrong. And that also meant that we as kids would have lost even more years of our scholarship. So we had to make it work. The tension was high at home. Shit hit the fan very, very quick. My parents got separated in less than six months after we came here. No one is divorced in our family. So mom didn't tell anybody. It was a very bad, embarrassing thing, especially. So she kept it secret, hoping that things would get better. While my dad went back to Morocco telling his own version of the story in which we abandoned him. I gotta be fair. If I'm saying what he did, I also gotta tell you what I did and the role I played in my parents' divorce and why my dad hates me and thinks I'm the devil and why I'm scared for my life every single day, which is all the shit I had to overcome even before beginning my entrepreneurial journey just to put myself in a position where that is even possible. So bear with me. I'm guilty of calling child's protection services one day after my dad had beaten me up again for some stupid reason. My dad was always abusive since I was little. He's very controlling and he, I, I just never liked control. So he sees us, his kids, as a reflection of him. 
Like he gave birth to us, we're his property, he owns us, and he's allowed to do anything with us, to us. And we can never tell anyone or complain because he'll flip the story and make us look like the bad guy and still get beat up. So my mom was scared for years, but she could never stand up for him. We, well, she actually tried by physically fighting him until she got older and sick and couldn't physically fight anymore. Anyways, the specific incidents that caused the divorce was me calling child services. So honestly, I didn't even know what it was at the time. I mean, it was literally exactly six months after we came to Canada. So my dad was hitting me. My mom, who usually defends me, wasn't there. And then the phone rang. It was Skype, my dad's favorite activity since he wasn't working. So being on Skype, talking to his family all day long, telling them lies about how great we have it so that he can keep that image that they have of us or whatever. I don't even know if they have that image, but that's what I felt like. It was more important to him to have an image that it's great. Everything is under control. Everything is great. It was more important than actually putting in the least effort to actually make things work. Like I said, he wasn't working. My mom was working, but he wasn't. So when the phone rang, his mood instantly switched into, you know, happy-go-lucky so that he can start his pitch of how great Canada is. He said, let me answer this phone real quick and I'll get back to beating you. (laughs) And I was fed up. I just left. I sent a message telling my friend that I'm going to be hiding in the shopping centers, like the women bathrooms. And I was just too scared. I was like, hell no, this is no, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I wondered a lot if that was wrong, but I just knew something told me run. I just sent a message. I went on Facebook, sent her a message, and then I went hiding and I waited there for about two hours before she came inside the bathrooms and was like, oh my God, I had to hide in the bathrooms, the woman's bathroom, so he can never find me. So I didn't know what I was doing. She joined me in there with her mom and her mom basically drove us back to her place. I told her my story and after hearing my story, she got worried. She got seriously worried and suggested that I would call um, Child's Protection Services and ask for their help. When I called, they basically said, we understand you're a new family of immigrants, so we'll pass by and we're going to have a talk with your parents to let them know that they can't physically beat their kids up here. So especially not leave marks. I was getting bullied enough at school. Now I have to explain bruises and black eyes. I always had excuses, of course, but I was embarrassed and it played a huge role in how much of an introvert I am. Like I was already trying, but not wanting to try. How can you try to make friends, but I'm also hiding? Anyways, it was just, it it was a mess. So I went on and no. So child services told me that, uh, they told me, what time is your mom going to finish work? I said, five. They're like, okay, perfect. Be home by five. And then we're going to meet you with your parents later. So, so that they can talk to my parents. But they wanted me to wait for my mom before I go there because, well, it was dangerous for me to go there alone. So I went, but I stayed hiding, waiting for my mom. So I waited to see her come out from her like the bus that takes her from her work to home so that I can go home with her. As I was waiting, two young female adults, I saw them go in the building. And basically what happened is they knocked at the door 
they were from child protection services. But my dad, when he opened the door, since I had left, this was a little after five, right? Let's say like 5.20, 5.15, before six, because my mom was already there at six. So I had left home at about, I think it was like 12, like during the day. I just know it was during the day. And I think it was a weekend. I know it was the Semaine de Relâche, which is um, like spring break that week in March where you're not working, where, where had, we had no school. So I had left during the day. My dad, he finished his call and that's when he found out that I wasn't there anymore. So he was already pissed. And then when he sees these two young female adults come in and knock at the door and they asked, is Mimi here? And he basically assumed that they were my friends my, you know, my white friends who are trying to turn me against my family and my own values and my own culture as if like, I was never somebody who agreed with that kind of behavior. Like, don't you remember? (laughs) I never liked that. And I mean, I would have, I don't want to say I would have preferred to die because I didn't want to die. And, but it was a possibility and I was scared of it. And I didn't want to live like that anymore. Especially at that point, I didn't even think of consequences. I didn't think of anything. I was just like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like, who are you? Anyways, so um, basically when they got there and they asked about me and he was already pissed, he was furious thinking that they were my friends and they're the ones who turned me against him. Maybe they're the ones who made me go out because he thought like, you can't have white friends. That's what they're going to do to you. They're going to whiten you up. <laughs> Meaning I'm going to start becoming not okay with abuse. So when he thought those thoughts that I basically say to him, that I've been saying to him for years, but he just assumed that those thoughts that I was saying came from those two girls in front of him, but those two girls just so happened to be from Child Protection Services and he got aggressive with them to the point where they called for reinforcement and shit escalated quickly. So by the time my mom got there, they were basically asking, was he ever abusive to you? Was he abusive to your daughter? How about your other kids? And she just kept denying because she didn't know what was happening. There was already too many people there. Like I said, shit escalated and everything. It just looked like I'm the one who caused all that. I mean, I take responsibility. That's why I started by telling you what I have done. And I do take responsibility. I still do. And I still understand the frustration that my dad and mom have been through I still understand all of that I just I'm trying to sort through it so as she got there my mom was extremely mad she thought she couldn't leave me at home for a second and that I was gonna make a mess again because I was always fighting with my dad so anyways they were asking her um we got a call from your daughter was he did he ever beat her up did he ever touch her did he ever whatever and she was just denying and they asked the kids individually my brothers and sisters they all separated everybody in like separate rooms with like different agents with different kids like (laughs) it was a big deal and everyone including my little sisters who couldn't even lie because they were like two and four years old no sorry They were four and six years old. They even said that my dad was abusive on a regular basis and they were scared of him. So that same day, Child Protection Services deducted that the kids should stay separate from him 
until we come to a solution. And the solution at the time was basically having a talk with him, a calm talk where he's not embarrassed in front of his family because he, he had kind of like control over his family because this was happening for years. But until we came here, now he felt not only he lost control with like distance, being far from his family, being far from his supporters, being far from, I mean, he left a job that yes, he wasn't paying him, but at least he was getting his ego boosted, you know, because he looked like he was getting paid. Nobody knew when people would come over, we had plates and foods specifically for guests that we didn't have those things. So Anyway, we had a certain lifestyle before and then we lost that lifestyle, but we still had to keep up as if we still had that lifestyle, if that makes sense. But now that we're here, he started to lose control of us. Well, especially me. And he took it out all on me as if like I'm the reason for everything going wrong. And I did feel guilty for that. So anyways, back to the child's protection and that day what happened, they deducted that we should be separate from him until a solution, until we come to a solution. And if my mom would continue to defend him, they told her, listen, you got to tell us the truth because the kids, they can't, you can't have five kids telling the same story while they're being separate from each other. And you and your partner are saying the same story, which basically contradicts theirs. So that's when they told her, if you continue to defend him, you got to lose your kids. Like we may have to place them in family, homes, whatever they're called, like foster stuff, and you'll never see them again. I was on the phone. I was still at my friend's home at this time, but I was on the phone with the child protection services because I went back after seeing like all the whole, like all the cars and people in and out of the building. I was like, holy shit, did I just do all this? And then I, we went back. I was just like crying. And then my friend's mom took me back home. So I was still on the phone with them. And like just thinking that it was an option. It was a possibility that I could have been separated for all my brothers and sisters. And we're five siblings. And my mom and dad all at the same time. Because... I decided one day I didn't want to take a punch or two or 10. There's no amount of punches that like I would take anything. I didn't even know that it was an option to lose our family like that. I just wanted someone to talk some sense into my dad and help him find maybe better ways to communicate with us. I just wanted him to get a job, even a temporary job like my mom did. Put some effort in. Fight for us. We all agree that the situation isn't ideal, but we have to do something if we want it to change. It has been years that my dad hasn't been working in Morocco already. Now it's been six months that we've been here and he has no interest in taking a humble temporary job while building a better future. My mom at the time, she was working at a local church, folding clothes. That's where she was when shit went down at home. By the way, when I told her last week that I was going to talk about this, she thought that mentioning the fact that she worked a simple job like a clerk lady was embarrassing. 
I'm not sure if it's only my family who attaches so much importance to your job or the role you play in society as if it dictates your worth. Maybe it's an immigrant thing. I don't know, but to me, I see it as noble. My mom was willing to do whatever the fuck it took to feed her family, even when the circumstances were not ideal. She knew that she had to start somewhere, and I respect that. I respect anyone who focuses on what they can do versus what they cannot do and dwell in victimhood. So basically after that day, we were pretty much homeless. My dad cut off all contact with us, including with my mom. He got rid of our stuff that we left at home in the little condo and he just disappeared. And later on, we ended up finding out that he went back to Morocco. So... Where we were, thanks to some good-hearted people who helped us, my mom was able to get uh, an apartment in less than two months. Before that, we basically shared a bedroom with two bunk beds at the safe center for abused kids or moms because they didn't expect such a big family. We only had one room for us. Because that was technically what's supposed to be for me or for my mom. Usually, there's not, you don't find every day a family of six all of a sudden having to. But I really am grateful for the fact that they even existed and they took, they took care of us. And during this whole time, we still had to go to school like nothing happened. <laughs> this all happened during uh, spring break. So we went back to school after that one week of vacation. Well, everybody had vacation for us. It was <laughs> a different kind of vacation. But anyways, I felt so guilty because after that, my sisters who were so little, they didn't understand and they would be asking, where is Ileu Papa? Where's my dad? They missed him. Even my brothers missed him. And even my mom was living her worst nightmare. She knew everything that he did from a long time ago, and she wasn't okay with it, but living without him was scarier and harder for her. So she felt like she he was her partner. Maybe not the best one, but at least she had a partner. Now she's all alone with five kids in a country where she barely speaks the language. She doesn't know anybody. She only came here for him and for us to have better opportunities in the future. But none of that seemed possible without him at the time. I took away her choice of staying longer or maybe leaving on her own terms. Once child services were aware of our problems, our situation, it was a no-brainer for them to split up. They basically enforced the divorce. She was in so much pain, and she blamed me for him leaving, and he blamed me for, he calls it, I kicked him out. I called the cops. I sent him to jail. He doesn't even know, well, I mean, he knows the difference between cops and child protection services. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even file or press charges. And, but anyways, I thought that everybody would feel safer without him, but I was wrong, I guess. I took away their choice of making that decision for themselves. Regardless if it was my fault or not, I felt responsible. Then, six months later, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. Then, 
multiple sclerosis. So she wasn't able to work anymore. But while this was happening, I just felt powerless, helpless, guilty. It was all on me because I was thinking stress causes cancer and autoimmune diseases. So I must be the reason she's sick. If it was him or he's the one who was stressing her out or his stress, she would have gotten sick a long time ago, but she wasn't sick a long time ago while he was causing her stress. But now that she's stuck with me, she's getting sick. And that's what stressed her and caused her to get sick. My little brothers and sisters already lost their dad because of me. And now there's a risk that they may lose their mom too because of me. So good news. <laughs> She is a survivor and she's doing much, much better now. But back at the time, I was 16. I was finishing high school. I didn't even know that it was a possibility for kids at 16 to get a job at the time. And maybe it was a good thing or else I wouldn't have even finished high school. I would have went to work right away to support them. So to me in Morocco, I didn't know because not even adults have jobs based on what you can see with my dad, the stories that I told you. Even with the highest degrees, you're still at the mercy of the people who are at the top if they want to give you a job or not, if they want to give you an opportunity or not. So getting a job was a privilege. Let me tell you about my... Because at this time, I was still in, in school. And in order for you to understand how I ended up leaving school, you got to understand <laughs> my background with school. So when I was in Morocco in my education, I was in my first year of baccalaureate, which means that I had one more year to finish high school and then go to university, or they call it in the US, they call it college. But the problem with the Quebec system is they have this thing called CEGEP that's right in the middle between high school and college, which is like a two-year of prep school. Kind of useless in my opinion, but because of my age, being 16 years old, they couldn't just put me at the same level. So I'll give you an example. When I was there, I would have finished at 16 and then at 17, I would have been in... No, sorry. I was at the last year, so I had another year. So 17, I would have another year of baccalaureate because it's, it's split in two years. And if I would have passed, then at 18, I would have integrated university or college. But when I came here, I went to, they put me back to basically sec five, which is the last year of high school, like year five. I'm not sure if that makes sense. There's one, two, three, four, five. And... Um, after I finished five, I was supposed to go to CJEP, which is an extra two years. And then I would have been able to integrate university at 20. You see, so I would have lost two years compared to the system I was already in in Morocco. But it's even worse because I came here. I did SEC five. After I finished everything, I wasn't even able to go to prom because... The way the system works, it works with points. So yes, I did have all the points from SEC 5, but I wasn't able to graduate because I was missing points from SEC 4 because the kids who finished SEC 5, they already had SEC 4, but I didn't. So although I did pass all the classes from SEC 5, 
They made me go to adult school a year after so that I can continue acquiring <laughs> courses or whatever units from the years before, which just completely doesn't make sense. How can you finish five? If I finished five, that means I'm more than qualified to move on with my life, not go backwards. But anyways, that added an extra years, an extra year for me. So that was, that would mean I would have lost three years and all of my friends. So to compare it, because I didn't have that many friends in here, and especially the friends I made in high school, they all graduated and moved on to CJEP while I was still stuck in uh, like an adult school, having to do my own classes on my own terms. But anyways, my friends who were in Morocco, they had already graduated and they went, some of them came to Canada, some of them came to Quebec, some of them went to France. And imagine the same kids that I was in school with, now they came here and now they're integrating university while I'm still trying to finish high school. <laughs> I was so pissed and I was so embarrassed and angry because I didn't even know how to process my emotions. I was just like, whoa. But anyways, I ended up finishing that adult school because I didn't know any other way. Thank God I didn't know any other way or else I wouldn't have finished. <laughs> so I finished that and then I registered in CJEP in communications and marketing. Then one day after school, it was like a Friday, I was downtown at an ice cream shop with my friends and I was standing there and the guy next to me, basically he thought he was kind of talking to his friend, but his friend was gone and nobody heard him. He had asked, why is the left palm says vanilla and the right palm says chocolate, but the middle one has no label on it. So I just naturally not minding my own business. I just said, hey, I think the middle one is the mix of the two. And he says, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then he said, oh, by the way, I'm Danny. And he gave me his business card and he said, you seem nice and not shy. You would be good in sales. If you ever need a job, call me or come at the office. And he just left. At the time, I wasn't sure if it was like flirting with me or maybe this is a normal thing in Canada. People just give out their business cards. I don't know, but I was curious about the job. So I checked the address on the business card. It was a real business and it even had a job description. To be honest, I didn't even read the job description. I just read the requirements and it did not say anything about a degree. So I asked my friends and they said, yes, you don't need a degree to work in sales. I was like, what? <laughs> And then someone said, actually, you can take three years off of school so you can help your mom. And then when you hit 21, 21 years old, you can join us at university directly. I was like, what? <laughs> Even more. So apparently there was a loophole. And the requirements to be admitted in university were, if you are under 21 years old, you need a CJEP degree which takes two years after high school degree, minimum. But if you are 21 years old or older, you just need your high school degree to be admitted. And I was 18, so I had the choice to go to CJEP for two years and start uni at 20, or get to work, support my family, get experience, feel less guilty about everything and the situation I have put my family in by supporting them, and then 
I thought that in three years I was going to be so rich and then I would have to have like I would just go back to university at 21 years old and that was only a year later after all my friends because that would get there at 20 but while they were in CJEP I was going to be working so that information just changed everything for me (laughs) it's crazy how one piece of information can change your whole life direction this is how I got my first job so I went to the address on the business card like I didn't have a resume I didn't know that you had to apply I didn't know anything (laughs) I was just like everything was new to me so I went to the address I was just lost and then there was a secretary there and I said hi I'm looking for Danny. He offered me a job. (laughs) And the girl, she had no idea who Danny was, but then she ended up calling someone else to interview me. And I did get the job. That was my first job ever. I worked there for three years. I don't want to say the job changed my life, but just the whole experience opened my eyes to a whole new world. My hourly salary was $12 an hour plus commission plus bonuses. You probably hearing this and thinking, oh my God, that's too low. To me, that <laughs> I was like, wow, that is so much money. So I, all I had to do was cold call business owners from my desk and book appointments for sales agents on the road for them to go see the merchants or the business owners and sell them our payment processing services. I had a quota and anything, a quota, my, my husband always corrects me for that. I had a quota and anything above a certain amount of appointments booked, I get $10 per appointment. Plus, whenever any of my appointments closes and turns into a deal, I get a $50 bonus. I was ecstatic. I had never even knew of such a system existing, like a performance-based earning. So I thought I hit the jackpot. I was like, oh my God, where all this money? I can buy groceries. I can help my mom pay for rent. My salary alone can cover my family's basic expenses. Don't forget, this could feel to you like nothing. But at the time, we had zero. We only had help from government agencies. We were pretty much living on food stamps. And, you know, like we had, we are a family of six with zero income because my mom was sick and we were all in school. So to me, any income was great, especially I didn't have to strip for it. I just have to cold call businesses. Fuck yeah, I'm down to do it. Are you kidding me? So of course, I hit all the numbers and I got all the bonuses because Basically, my salary, my basic salary was going to go for my family towards that. And my commissions and bonuses were my personal spending money. So I had to hit all the bonuses. They were very important to me. So, of course, the closers loved it. And whenever they passed by the office, they would bring their signed contracts and they would say, good job, Mimi. And to me, I know it sounds stupid, I know, but to me, I got recognition, That was recognition. That was somebody being happy with something I've done. So it motivated me to close even more deals. And so one time this closer said, I closed another one of your deals and I was so happy. And then he said, "Um, I just made 700 bucks on it. And then I was like, wait, what? What do you mean you made 700 bucks? 
I kind of felt shitty because I only made 50 bucks on that deal. Like I did half the job. The client didn't even want to speak to any salespeople on the phone. I cold called them and I built a relationship with them and got them to open up and send me their processing statement for you to come in and do a side-by-side cost comparison and close the deal. And you make 700 and I make 50? Hmm. But then he said, but you have a salary and I don't. More risk equals more money. And I was like, ah, sounds, ugh, sounds good, but I'm not ready for this right now. But the seed is planted. So I was so determined, still determined on hitting all the bonuses because I depended on them to live. And that naturally made me good at it. I was basically living on survival and people didn't know what was happening in my life. And they just thought that I was so motivated because at the, I think at any sales job or any sales office, they say, keep your negativity at the door. Don't bring your negativity here. And for me, that was perfect. I was like, sounds great for me. (laughs) No negativity here. So nobody ever asked me about any problems. I never bought any problems. I was just very happy, very bubbly. Like I, I built this persona where people could see me and just think I'm the happiest girl ever. And I have this joie de vivre, which is like the joy of living. But yeah, I do. I agree. I do. But that doesn't mean I don't have problems. If I just open my mouth, you would drown with my problems. You like, okay, maybe not. Okay. I got to stop attacking people. (laughs) But I just knew that I had to be solution oriented. And to me, getting all the bonuses and all the commissions was my way out. So I had to do it. I wasn't looking at the person sitting next to me, how much they did, or if somebody rejected me on the phone, I didn't care. Just like, okay, next, next, next. So anyways, the company loved that. And um, of course, they loved that. I mean, why would they not? Because I was always hitting my quota and it was always hitting all the bonuses and shit. So they wanted me... They promoted me basically to be a team leader and they wanted me to train more people to be like me, like more happy, more positive, always looking to hit every single bonus, every single quota, every single whatever the fuck they want. Anyways, so that's when things changed for me again. I started doing hiring interviews, listened to calls for quality control and coaching, then That meant that my compensation changed from only myself and depending on myself and my own work to hit those bonuses. Now my commissions depended on the whole team hitting a certain number. So that's when I started to open up and learn how to work with people, learn what motivates people. How can I help them reach their goal? What, how, how can I, like all of that coaching, I think that's where it started for me because I started to build a natural interest. Yes, in people for sure. But also for me, because I was still on autopilot, because I was still just like, listen, I got to help you because if I help you, I help me. You know what I mean? If that made sense. I know I'm sure I'm supposed to be saying things that all I cared about what was people. I cared about people because it helped me. This is the truth. And I told you right from the beginning of this episode, this was not going to be a kiss ass people pleasing kind of thing. This is the truth. I'm telling my truth. So anyways, 
I was doing that and I was doing, I don't know, pretty good until one day I got fired after about three years of working there. And to be honest, I don't blame the company for firing me. I was, yes, I was good at my job, but I was always late, like almost every day. And they warned me nicely multiple times about my punctuality. And that even though I was a top performer, that wasn't enough. And I had to give a good example to my team by being early or at least on time, which I didn't do. So they fired me, rightfully so. Little side story about that. Just because our work relationship ended at the time, it didn't have to mean that our friendship or the friendship I had built in that company was going to end. I'm grateful for all the people who don't take things too seriously and understand what a conflict of interest is without taking it too personally. As a matter of fact, the floor manager who fired me is a great friend of mine to this day. And a couple of years ago, when I was trying to build my in-house sales team in my company, I called him for advice. He was the guy, the same man who hired me, gave me my first interview, trained me, promoted me, and then fired me, right? So um, when I started my own company, funny enough, named Merit, <laughs> and still in the same industry of payment processing, of course, I had to call him and ask for advice. How can I run my own sales team? And when he heard that I had started my own company, he was so proud. I could hear him being so happy in his voice. And he was on speaker with my husband, like in the car. And, and then I told him, um, like, you know, I started this business with my husband. He's like, you got a husband? <laughs> And he's like, I have to meet you. I have to meet him. And then he came to the office and he met up with my husband. My husband loved him too. And we ended up hiring him on the spot and he ended up being our manager. So the same man who hired me for my first job and fired me, I ended up hiring him back to run my office because I understand conflict of interest. And the reason why he hired me was not personal, it was because I wasn't fulfilling the role to a certain extent because I was always late. He warned me and I didn't do it. And he fired me like laughing. He was just like, hey, what do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> I was like, nah, man, you can't do that. <laughs> it's just so funny anyways, because then I ended up hiring him and I said, listen, I want that exact attitude that army attitude, because don't forget, my parents were in the army and I kind of like structure to a certain point, right? So, um, yeah, I just think that's important because he had no ego. He had no pride. He was actually very, like, proud of me, proud. He didn't see it as, like, um, a threatening thing that your ex-employee or somebody you pretty much groomed becoming your boss. He didn't see it like that. He was like, yeah, so what? <laughs> He's like, my my um, my daughter, she's finishing high school this summer. Can you uh, mentor her, like give her an internship? She's going to come here. I just want her to sit next to you and just see what you're doing all day. And I was like, oh my God, good men still exist. He didn't feel threatened or jealous or anything at all. So anyways, I think to me, that was something important because to me, I didn't know anybody like that, but that was just a side story. So anyways, 
back to my jobs, my little resume. So as I got fired from there at the same time, I also had a little side hustle going on with a network marketing company. I found out about it through friends at the office. So I started kind of doing both at the same time, maybe a couple months difference. I went for a a workout and then I fell in love with the positive culture. I loved doing that. I met some amazing people. I learned a lot about nutrition and starting a business and marketing a product, building a team. It was a great experience overall. Sometimes I wonder if maybe that was my opportunity and I completely missed it. I mean, I met some friends who are still in that organization and some made it all the way to the top, which is great. I'm so happy for them because it proves that it is possible to do that in network marketing, which is great. But why couldn't I make it there? Was I not good enough? Was I not passionate enough? Did I not know enough about the product? Did I not know enough about, I don't know. Well, now I know that it was just simply not my thing to be in health and wellness. Yes, I had a passion for business and learning and all that, But health and wellness was just not my thing because, um, yeah, I'm a cheater. (laughs) I don't like eating healthy. I don't like working out. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but like, I want to eat a salad if I feel like eating a salad. But most of the time, I just feel like eating pizza and tacos and, and pasta. My husband is Italian and he cooks for me all the time. And I just, I don't know. I feel like that's more my thing. In my ideal world, I'm able to eat everything and my body's able to digest it and I don't, I don't gain weight and I'm still healthy. I mean, I do everything. I take all the supplements and I do all the things to be healthy, but I also do a lot of things that are not healthy and I didn't want to be a role model for health and wellness if I myself, like maybe I could, I could have taken on that challenge and just being the perfect fitness fit coach but that wasn't something that's interesting to me I would see people jacked and and I'm like oh my god it's not this just not for me you know so and it was not I was already taking on too many challenges at the time for me it was a side hustle I wasn't gonna turn it into more than that so anyways I still learned a lot from that experience and I choose to not go back to that because sometimes I'm like oh that was good or like that person was good should I seek a friendship with them or that company was good should I reach out to them should I should I do this whatever just but I still do have an interest in network marketing and I feel like one day maybe in one year if all my plans go well and I do have a business on autopilot which allows me time to build something Maybe I am going to do something in network marketing because I feel like a lot of people do that. There's a lot of things I like about it, like the low barrier to entry, a positive environment and supportive community, um, introduction to business, to personal development, proximity to high earning individuals and the opportunity to learn from them for free. I don't think uh, many people understand how much of an opportunity that is. And even getting started in personal development and being surrounded by other people who also do and encourage personal development and book clubs and stuff like that. I think 
Like I still suggest that to anybody who's about to get started in business. If I hear somebody join the network marketing company, I'm like, go for it. And they're like, "Ah, I'm not sure. You don't have to make it your lifelong career, but it's definitely an amazing pit stop. If you just want to like, either you want to build it into a full business or not. Even if you just want to get introduced, see what people are doing, what are the marketing strategies that are working right now. Most people right now are literally teaching social media marketing, influencer marketing, whatever niche you go for, either it's, I don't know, maybe nutrition, maybe beauty, maybe essential oils, maybe Bitcoin and crypto and all of that. They're providing a lot of education for free. And you literally, a lot of people are just like so blocked to it, but you could just sign up, get in the info, get the information, see the process of how they do it and go build it for yourself. I just took all that information on how to build um, a business, how to run a commission-only sales team. I didn't get that from the office. I got that from network marketing, how to build a sales channel. But anyways, I'm not going to go too much in that because I know it's not the point anyways. Maybe I'm going to do another episode about that and just talk about the pros and cons of network marketing. So around that same time that I got fired from my day job, I had found out that the guy that I was seeing at the time was cheating on me left and right. He was the same guy who worked with me at the office and then um, introduced me to the network marketing company. So I was heartbroken and devastated and angry and embarrassed and all the feelings all at once. I'm not going to blame him all for everything I was already going through so much at home and doing everything and almost burning myself out to help my family work in three jobs at the time I had the network marketing my day job and another job that I'm going to tell you about and um, no one even knew what I was doing my family still resents me for for my dad leaving and no material thing was going to ever replace him or make them feel different about me especially for my mom she was just suffering emotionally and physically. I wasn't expecting any credit. I did it because I had to. I felt like somebody had to. And I was the only one who could do anything. My siblings were too young and my mom was sick. My dad was in Morocco (laughs) spreading fake news about us to family members who instantly believed him since he was right there in front of them and had all the time in the world to play victim. I mean, why else would he be in Morocco right now and not in Canada with his family? It had to be someone's fault. And who's a better person to pin it on other than your teenage daughter who is actually working right now and playing your role of providing financial and emotional support to the family? But who was there for me? My family in Morocco disowned me based on my dad's stories. I was scared for my life and I still am. I felt and was treated like a disgrace. I didn't feel loved by anyone or appreciated no matter how much I tried. Then I get fired from my job. Then I find out that the guy I'm seeing is cheating on me and I was just in a dark place. It wasn't because of the cheating or one thing specifically. It was more so because I just didn't feel loved. I felt 
like I was in such a dark place that there was nothing. Cause you know, my whole belief during this whole time was that there's something I can do about it. Maybe one day I'll find a solution. Maybe. And I just burnt myself out emotionally because I felt like there was never, ever anything I could ever do for my family to love me or for anybody to love me. Nobody could fucking love me. Not my friends, not my job, not a guy I'm seeing, nobody. That's why I was in that place. And that's when my whole phase started. <laughs> I call this my whole phase because, well, my family had called me a hoe. My mom had heard it from extended family members that I was a prostitute and not f for real. And they actually, my mom questioned me about it. She was like, are you a heard you're a prostitute? I'm like, how can somebody in Morocco who's a million, like he's so far away, how could they know if I'm actually a prostitute or not? I mean, you should know. Anyways, I felt so alone and I was like, fuck everyone. I'm actually a good girl and I get treated like a hoe, but like, what's wrong with being a hoe? Fuck it. You know what? I'm going to own it. Because according to my family, yes, of course, they went all the way to calling me a prostitute, obviously because of my dad, because my dad to him getting a job at a coffee shop was basically prostitution. Because I guess in Morocco, girls who work at coffee shops, because people don't go to coffee shops there. I don't know. This is from what he tells me, because I was never allowed... My life from zero to 16, I wasn't allowed to go out. I wasn't allowed to see people. I wasn't allowed to have friends, have friends over, go to my friends' places. So you got to understand, I had no life. This is basically how my life started. And like as soon as I started working, and yeah, I mean, I did have a boyfriend. And that guy, we had posted a picture together on Instagram and my dad had found through some cousins who found my Instagram who snitched on me who gave it to my dad and then my dad went and gave it to all of the family and now because I have a boyfriend I'm a hoe so I was like you know what fuck it I'm gonna own it like nobody deserves a good girl anyways not even the fucking guy that you're like calling me a hoe for he doesn't even deserve nobody deserves it so fuck that like I'm not really gonna be a prostitute but I'm just gonna not live by your standards and by your rules because no matter how much I live by your rules it was never gonna be perfect and I was miserable you know and you're blaming everything on me anyways I'm not even gonna blame it just this at the time, that's how I felt. I was like, fuck it. This is what you're going to do to me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do whatever I want. So that's when I started going out to nightclubs, partying, drinking. I had never had a sip of alcohol or even smoked anything before that summer. I was 19 years old. My first time. I, like, How can family and society be more harsh on a teenager wanting to go out more than a father abandoning his kids and wife. Well, of course, my dad was great at telling stories and my mom could never stand up to him because we don't turn on family. But everyone turned on me. Am I not family? Anyways, if you're wondering why I'm telling you about my family dynamics, it's because my upbringings had a lot to do with my self-worth and desperate need for external validation and attracting and being attracted to narcissists, controlling and abusive partners. That's when 
I started working in nightlife. So I was, let me tell you how I started working in a nightlife. Basically, I'm reading this because I have, uh, I have these outline and I just have my outlines, <laughs> how I started working in nightlife, my whole phase, my first job. So you see, I'm, I'm just trying to follow because I have attention deficit disorder and sometimes I lose track of my thoughts. And now how can I tie this from controlling partners and me wanting to be a hoe to starting to work in the nightlife. So here's how it happened. I wasn't like, hey, let me be a hoe. Let me find a job at a club. I didn't even know what the fuck any of anything was. I was just in my friend's basement. We were four girls. I was so sad. The, this was like two were my clients at the fit club. So I was trying to help them lose weight and they become my friends. Literally all my friends came from work and yeah work they're my clients colleagues and stuff like that so I was so sad I was crying my friends wanted us to go out so they can make me drink so that I can lighten up and be myself and of course they were supportive of me not being a good girl anymore so because that's what they wanted they wanted to break out of it but it's so hard for somebody to do something. And I was the perfect guinea pig because I was willing to do anything. Like literally, I was like, no shame, no limit, no, I, I don't give a fuck. So she went on my cell phone, she opened my messages and started going through them to see who invited me or who invited us anywhere. And then she said, oh my God, the owner of this club invited you and your friends to this VIP event. We have to go. So she literally called the cab and the cab was there. I wasn't even out of bed yet. I got ready in like 10 minutes and we went off. It was like my third time drinking in my life <laughs> that summer. Well, that same day. I was wasted and I ended up getting offered a job to work there. The guy who invited me turned out to be a promoter. But the real owner was there and he was so nice and protected me from the predators around and offered me a job as the bottle service waitress. I said, like, I don't even know. He said, just come to the interview. And then in the interview, and I said, I don't even know anything about alcohol. And he said, well, you can start as a hostess, greeting people at the door with a smile and assigning them to their tables while you learn how it works. And then you can start doing bottle service and making more money. I thought, like I said, how much is a hostess pay? And then he said $25 an hour plus a percentage from the waitress's tips. I was, I was in shock since my much more demanding day job was only paying me $12 an hour. And this is, is it double? Yeah, double plus one for just sit there and be pretty. <laughs> and so I started working there. So I was working Monday to Friday nine to five at the call center and then five to nine Monday to Friday also I would go to the fit club some days I would work out some other days I would work on my network marketing business and on the weekends I worked at the supper club oops from seven to twelve anybody else talks with their hands I'm like in a podcast <laughs> and I'm talking to my hand nobody sees me but I'm still talking to my hand knocking off the mic and shit so <laughs> sorry about that so, um, what was I saying? 
Yeah. I, on the weekends, I worked on at the supper club from 7 to 12-ish p.m. I had to look cute, greet people, have a smile on. And then after 12, I basically just partied and I was still getting paid. That was like the dream job I never even dreamed of for me. I was having fun and just being there. I was like meeting amazing fucking rich people. Anyways, we're, we're going to talk about that later. It's not about them being rich. It's about the mindset and the proximity of seeing how rich people, how old money people act and behave and think and make purchases and, and all of that. It's not about, I'm not a gold digger. I mean, I dig my own gold, but I want to know how you dig your gold so that I can also dig my gold. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if it even makes sense, but that proximity brought me a lot, a lot of normalization, normalizing a lot of things, luxury items. I was also immature, so I started making my weekly salary in one day and you know, I see girls around me wearing Louboutin shoes and Louis Vuitton bags and stuff like that. And I thought maybe that's how you make more money, you know, as a waitress, if you're wearing more expensive shoes, if you're wearing this, if you're looking better, then people are going to tip you more. And yeah, I started spending money like them, comparing myself, trying to fit in, trying to keep up with the Joneses. But that's when I started spending. I forgot. I started to forget about my my purpose, my why, the reason why, because that's the thing. My why was always my family, but I don't want to say it's a shaky why, because my why is still my family until today, but because I lacked self-love, it was kind of like my whole existence depended on them. And as long as I didn't feel a certain, not reciprocity, just recognition, just acceptance, not even recognition, just accept me for who I am, bro. Like I'm not, I'm not even a fucking prostitute. I just was working at a call center and you're giving me so much shit just because you are not working. So you're trying to justify, you're trying to like deter the attention from you not doing enough to me doing too much. But anyways, People don't even like even family, friends, any, anybody like they just hear a story and they're like, oh, OK, well, the father must know what he's talking about. You know, that little girl, she must be wrong. Everybody, she must be wrong. OK, so anyways, I'm, I'm not even. <sighs> yeah, maybe I am. I started to feel the pressure build up and. I started to disconnect from reality and by disconnecting from reality through drinking, through partying, through living within a an environment that was completely fun and happy and like that was I felt more safe at the club. I felt more accepted, wanted. I know it sounds stupid or weird, but I felt more worthy. Worthy? I'm not sure if worthy. I felt important. I felt important there. At home, nobody gave a fuck if I existed or not. And like the fact that I'm even doing is like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you said he should work. He should do this. He should do that. Show me what you're doing. Are you doing enough? And I was literally like trying to be the father I never had. And 
I was becoming too masculine, but at the same time, yes, I was on survival, but I have gotten far through doing that because I was trying to prove everybody wrong because I was trying to tell them you can work. You can start from nothing and work your way up. I was trying to prove that concept being a little girl with no tools, no nothing. And I just burnt myself out for the wrong reasons. That's what I mean. So it's not my why that was wrong. It's the reason I was doing it for, I was trying to prove a point instead of just, but anyways, it got me here, right? So Yeah, I started to derail a bit because especially after getting fired from my day job, I didn't look to replace it right away because I just rolled with it because my other streams of income from my network marketing business, selling products, direct sales, and also my nightclub, I was working sometimes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and making my monthly salary in the call center in four days. And I started to feel, hey, you know what? I don't need to do that. <laughs> and that's when it's important to be surrounded by the right people because my boss at the club, he reminded me of a promise that I had made him on the first day we met when he offered me the job when I was drunk. He said, I remember, he said, you're a good girl, you work hard, and you take care of your family. Because I was drunk. So of course I like poured my heart out on it. <laughs> yeah. To me. I'm like I don't know. I don't care. I was just. Anyways. It's like you know when you. Have never really been drunk. And you're just. But I'm so grateful. Because that happened to be such a good person. Who didn't take advantage of me. And instead made me. Make him a promise. To stay good. And keep keep my values. He said, this is a great job. You can meet some great people here, but I don't want you to start getting invitations anywhere. Well, everywhere and going out all the time and going down a path where all you do is have fun and no work. And you start to forget who you are, where you come from, why you do what you do and where do you want to be going? I, he said, never do coke. And never quit your day job unless you're going back to school or you got a better job. He said that he had seen it way too many times where girls go down the wrong path and he didn't want it to happen to me. He felt responsible to introduce me to the industry of the nightlife. So he gave me a warning and trusted me to make my own decisions. What a great advice. (laughs) I actually took it seriously and we're still friends to this day. So... He knew I was in a bad place, but he helped me see it as a bad phase and allow myself to live a little without going too far, without letting this phase of 21 to, I mean, no, I was 19. So 19 to 21 define my whole life. It's like, take your time. This is the time to have fun and go out. And ironically, I felt safer there then I was at home. So I had a summer of fun and then I got a new job. It was another call center, same industry, but this one was conveniently located in the building literally behind the club where I worked. So I applied online and I got called for an interview. To be honest, I was hangover as fuck 
And I only realized once I got there that my club was literally right behind. So I passed the interview and I got hired on the spot. I was even told that because of my experience as a supervisor, they are considering letting me just start as a sales agent to test my skills. Then if all is good, I'll get promoted to office manager very soon. Same tasks I did before, but this one had a better title and I had no one above me since it was a startup. It was, I was literally their first management hire and I almost didn't show up for that interview because I had massive cramps for real this time, but I had already used up that excuse way too much on my first job. And this time I was going to be good because I made that promise to Steve, my boss at the club. I was going to be good. I was going to be on time. No excuses. So I went with my cramps and I was hangover. I looked like a ghost. And oh my God, this may be too much information. But I mean, this is all too much information. And I warned you, this is a woman's space. So I want to normalize just talking about natural things without any shame. I was bleeding so much that it got on into the chair that I was sitting on. I could clearly see the stain when I got up. Even before getting up, I felt it. And I was trying to act normal during my interview. Funny enough, they hired me on the spot. (laughs) Oh my God. I swear, I know myself. If I would have left out of there and waited for the shame of bleeding over someone's office chair sit-in, There is no way in hell I would have ever wanted to answer that call. Imagine if they would have said, yo, come clean your shit. Oh my God. He just said, when can you start? I said, as soon as possible. You know, like you're supposed to say in interviews. And then he said, how about Monday? And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) But that's in my head. In reality, I said, oh my God, thank you so much for the trust. I promise I'm the best person for this role office manager oh my god no no wait floor manager that's the thing not not office manager floor manager I was like oh my god yes I want to be that if I become that maybe my family will love me they will see that I'm not just wasting my future um trying my best oh my god yeah yeah yeah. so I forgot to tell you The whole reason why they thought I'm wasting my future was because I didn't go to CJEP, like the education school, which is just continue going to school, continue going to school. And that's what was going to guarantee your future. And my family is straight up immigrants who risked everything for us to be in Canada for me to get Canadian education, right? And I wasn't even giving it a shot because I was working. And my mom didn't give a fuck that I was supporting the family or like paying for bigger apartments for all of us instead of being crammed up or buying groceries that people actually, well, people, my family actually wanted to eat instead of just beans and stuff. My mom didn't care about that. She was down to suffer and just, because that's how she grew up. She's like, okay, we're, we're just going to bunker down and we're going to live like shit for all of you to go to school and finish university. And maybe once you get a, a real job and that's when we're going to start to have a better life. And it was just not, I was like, no, <laughs> I'd rather eat better now 
and still work my way up because at the time I didn't even know that there was a way to start your own business. I just thought I was going to do it for three years and then join university, but they didn't understand my plan. They didn't, they didn't even care. Just the fact that I wasn't in school and then everybody like my mom's friends and family and everybody would call her and be like, Hey, what is she doing? What is he doing? What is they doing? Cause you know, for, for, I'm not sure if it's Arab families or just my family or maybe immigrants. I don't know. But I feel like we're like a badge of honor they're wearing. So everybody would ask, mostly me, because <laughs> I'm the oldest. What is she doing? And my mom would have to lie to them and say that she's in university. She's doing this. She's doing that, you know. And but deep down, she was ashamed because I wasn't in university and to her, that's why I was waiting my future. So I thought if maybe I get promoted in this other job where my role is more than just team leader working under a manager, a floor manager, now I am directly the floor manager and this is a startup so I can continue to work my way up. And there's a bunch of young people in this company. So that's what I thought. I was just, I was just like, well, I believed in signs back then. Or if I even saw it as a sign. But I just thought I had to take this job because it was so convenient. Like it was literally right behind the club. I would go to the office in the morning and then at lunch I would go to the parking lot in the back and meet up with my club friends working that day and they would sneak me out like corporate because they have corporate events so they would sneak me out amazing lunches from like amazing corporate events and sometimes drinks like that was the meetup spot with my friends even my friend who was the owner of the club and I would meet him there after work and we would go out not like go out and go wild and party for me going out it was more like we're going out to eat we're going out to nice places high-end restaurants clubs events meeting important people to me it was new but to him it was normal because his job basically consisted of organizing or setting up the corporate events for huge banks or huge corporations in Montreal or Quebec or whatever who are about to have a corporate party. That's where they would do it, the same club where I was working. And being basically friends and close proximity with the owner, I would be able to assist to these meetings where they're negotiating the price. And I see how they're not negotiating price. They're negotiating value. And how much can you add for me versus how much less can you charge for me? I, I learned a lot being in those meetings. Because basically I was just, you know, a little girl, a friend of Steve. And I was just sitting there. And some people didn't even pay attention that I was there. I just looked like a waitress. And some people did pay attention and did ask questions. I was able to tell a lot about how intelligent a man is by how stupid he thinks I am. I learned a lot. That proximity was a lot. So anyways, that to me felt like that proximity to me felt like when my mom first became a flight attendant and started working with the royal family in Morocco and their guests who basically were other leaders of the world who are coming to meet up with like the king or whatever or some parliament stuff and then they, she had to drop them off after she's been in some crazy shit she's been in through she listened to some 
crazy conversation, but she was trusted with those things. And the fact that she was trusted and she had access that gave her certain confidence. I feel like that's where I got it from. So I had a lot of confidence, but I was, it was like empty confidence because I didn't even know why I was confident. So I would doubt it all the time. (laughs) Not sure if that even makes sense, but I mean, I, I was confident. I knew I was hot. I knew I was smart. I knew I was a hustler, but at the same time, I wasn't confident. Like those things were happening at the same time. A lot of people think it's either you're either confident or you're not. No, like you can be confident and still doubt yourself. Maybe not insecure. I'm not sure about that word. I don't like it. Anyways, so back to what was I saying? At the club, I learned that sometimes I didn't have to pay for concert tickets or VIP tables or alcohol or a lot of things because I didn't have to. Because network was currency. I was invited to that table by certain people who had a certain status to keep. And it was just normal that certain people had to pick up the bill. And it was normal. And I felt bad. So being around other hot girls, I saw how they're behaving and how if somebody asked them, what do you like to drink? She just names the most expensive bottle of champagne, even if she doesn't even know. She never even tried it. (laughs) Just because, you know, like she's like, I'm not paying. I want to try it out. So that's what I'm going to tell him. And somebody else is paying for it. And I just couldn't. Oh, my God, I couldn't and then that's when I started to kind of like break out of it you know what I'm just gonna ask for this now you know what now I'm gonna ask for that because as a waitress a lot of people would come well a lot of guys would come like corporate guys or whatever and there's no girls at the table so I'm the only girl they could talk to especially if you're coming really early at like in the beginning of the night and they're like so what can I order what do girls like And I'm like, if you want girls to come to your table, you got to pop champagne. (laughs) If you pop this one, I know for a fact, this girl, this girl, this girl. And then they would be like, hey, can you introduce me to that one? Can you introduce me to that one? I don't even know them. But I learned from the girls, the experienced girls who've been working there that I got to hustle. So I got to tell them, if you want me to introduce you to that person, I know that person. She's a regular. She only likes this bottle. So if you buy it, I may tell her to come have a glass. That's all I can guarantee you. And it worked. (laughs) And I mean, when you're spending 10, 20, 30K of for bottles or tables because you're trying to impress the table next door or the girls or whoever you're trying to impress, all I know is I'm making a percentage of that you know, and the norm at the club was 20%. So you had to give 20%. To me, 20% of $1,000 is 200 bucks. So I need to get you to at least, I don't know, like 10K. And I was humble because I started to learn this shit later on. But this is, I'm just giving you when I started to learn that A lot of people just had access to like corporate credit cards and they didn't give a fuck. A lot of them were scammers. So they don't give a fuck about that money. That money was being spent either way. It was either I'm going to get in the middle and get some of it 
or let some other girl hustle my table. And that's what was always happening. And my friend, the owner was like, babe, fuck, stop being so shy. Just talk, just, just sell. Fuck, I'm hitting the, the mic again. <laughs> just sell people, just be yourself. Just don't be shy. Don't, don't like, he's like, you're cock blocking yourself with the money, not the cock, obviously. I don't even, it's just like you're blocking yourself, you're self-sabotaging. And I used to hear these words a lot at the club. And now I'm understanding, now that I'm starting to learn the psychology of money and patterns and how everything is related to self-worth, I just didn't feel like I was worthy of any of it. I didn't feel like I belong, like, and like how, but why, why, why do I deserve to make a thousand dollars for just being there and just bringing a bottle. I didn't make it. I didn't feel like easy money, even if it was easy, but just accepting it. I had a problem with receiving and I didn't know at the time, but that's, I'm just telling you this something I really learned from that experience. And that's when I started to work on it. But in the rest of my life, that's when everything changed because my standards have went way up. Now, I am allowing myself to make more money, to spend more money. I was around a lot of people where a lot of money was circulating and it was just normal, like huge bills. I, I used to have like heart attacks. I would be like, oh, even if I'm not picking up the bill and just like, oh my God, are you serious? What the fuck? No, what? why? Just why? <laughs> like you could buy a bottle from... The alcohol store in Quebec, it's called the sack, but anyways, that's what it is. You can buy it from there and it's 50 bucks, but the exact same bottle at the club is 250. I just, that's five times the price. Why? Why? It was kind of like a status symbol. And I mean, my job was to sell it. So I sold the fuck out of it. But that's when... I started to realize that my money mindset and behaviors were poor and I had to work on it. My friend, the owner, indulged my curiosities by teaching me things about money and old money habits and how to spot fakes and the scammers and the big spenders so that I can seat them at my table and even the girls' behaviors. There are all kinds of people at the club but once they're drunk the truth really comes out <laughs> and I'm not judging them by any means I had the privilege to watch drunk people in action getting in trouble it was like well some got in trouble and some got out <laughs> winners and to me it was kind of like a, a mirror I saw myself and that made me push the brakes a little because although I saw myself as an observer, but I was a participant and I didn't realize it, but I realized then what well, my friend made me realize, but now I'm realizing it even more that picking up everything and becoming more aware, especially be, becoming more aware of money, but still unaware of myself, I was still on survivor 
instincts just trying to like make as much money as possible but now out of anger and i don't even know what i'm doing but you know just to keep being accepted in this the good thing to strive for is like there's always a little carrot dangling in front of you whatever stage or phase in life you are and there's always something that you're working towards and for me at this stage it was I want to see how far my reach can go in terms of network. I was meeting some like huge corporate CEOs and celebrities and some like my reach was going far, but at the same time, well, far, far in terms of perspectives to me, somebody who's never been anywhere, having never met anybody with like any money or anything to me, that was huge because you know, the club is in Montreal. So whenever a lot of celebrities would come to Montreal, we would most often host the after parties. And to me, that was just like a lot of reach. And that was important. But also the money, I was expanding my 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 money mindset, like how comfortable I was with being around money. That was That was a privilege. That's not something I think like I take for granted that's definitely a privilege and even the fact that I was in it I'm so grateful for it although my family thinks it's a bad thing I think there's no such thing as a bad thing even like I met angels in the club and I met devils at the office and at home damn I'm so dramatic (laughs) whoa all right um so I'm not judging any people by anyways. I'm just saying people, they're, they're kind of like, we're all kind of different perspectives and we're all kind of mirrors, holding mirrors in front of each other. And by seeing or looking at people, I see myself and sometimes I learn from it. And yeah, sometimes I also learn from it. And sometimes it's validation that I'm on the right path. I'm not as bad as that. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, oh shit, I do the same thing. So I'm not judging at all i'm just raising like bringing it to awareness all right so that was my nighttime job but i was telling you about my day job oh my god yeah so my day job i got promoted to floor manager after like six months of working there and this was also another huge pivotal point where i started to see things differently because Right after working at the club and having my ego boosted, feeling like hot shit all day, now I, yes, I get a promotion at the club, I mean, at the club, at the office, but they also promoted another guy with me. They made us both co-floor managers, both of us at the same time, doing the same thing. But for real, this guy was horrible. I'm not even hating, it's just the truth. Even the owners didn't even want him to do interviews because they didn't want him to be the first face of the company that people see. And he couldn't even do training because he fucking sucked and he didn't even know what he was doing himself. Like he didn't even, he doesn't know anything. He couldn't do quality control because like some girls were quitting because they felt uncomfortable because he would come super close and like chew super loud his fucking gum and like put his hand all around them to like show something on the screen. He's just being too much, you know, like at the club, we call them the creeps and we call security and we kick them out. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but yeah, don't put your hands like, yes, 
stay the fuck away of my face. But you see this, I would have never even felt like probably at the other company before. I never even noticed if there was any guys like that. But now I'm noticing because I'm being treated better somewhere else. If that makes sense. It's, it's crazy. It's like the yin and yang, but like one is supposed to be good and one is supposed to be bad, but it's really like reality upside down. So at this job, the owners knew that this guy, this manager wasn't able to just be a good manager on his own. That's why they didn't give him the role on his own, but like they put me there, but they still promoted him because his girlfriend is friends with one of the owner's girlfriends and they go like double dates and shit. So he was kind of just doing him a favor. I imagine the conversation went something like, ah, you suck at sales, but you know what? I'll give you a job. But you know, there's a role that just opened up. We're hiring a floor manager where we're going to give it to this little girl, but we feel like you're, it's, we're going to feel better if you're there too, you know? <laughs> so like I, I got sexism stories for days for you oh my god so much sexism especially in that office and anyways i'm not even gonna i don't want to open that door because there was a lot of things that were not okay and that was the first time when i started to feel like a little bit in my dad's shoes where at the time i felt confident because it wasn't my first time doing that role and especially i did it at a bigger company so i should be more than fine doing it here like what the fuck is your problem why do you have to like put me with this guy and his fucking in my tail all day you know he doesn't even do anything he's just sitting there like fucking chewing and breathing down my neck like ugh, like ugh. You know, because at that time I was feeling like I was the shit, you know, at the club, guys like you wouldn't even come close to me. <laughs> and now you're like, you have the privilege to be sitting next to me and fucking smoking your cigarettes and eating your toast and like your mouth open the whole time. I'm just like, ew, ew, ew. But the fact that the owners put me and him in the same role, I didn't feel special about my role. Because that was like a clear, like he, if if it, if they would have put somebody who, you know, was just normal and not as bad, I would have felt, you know what, maybe this is competition. Bring it on, baby. I'm going to compete and I'm going to get that role on my own. But that was not the case. That was just, if it was a competition, I win, but it's not. And I happen to have a vagina, so I am not good enough to have the role on my own. And that's when I'm saying, that's when I started to realize that and I started to not give a fuck again. And like, you know, at work, I was like, fuck that. If he can do the, like, expect the same from me than you do from him. So fuck you. I'm not gonna, like, at first I was so invested in my job doing so well. I really thought like, I'm gonna grow with this startup and one day it's gonna be huge, multiple offices because I saw the, the other company, payment processing that I worked at before was like 200, 300 employees. It was huge. And the people who were there at first are now the top like COOs and VPs of sales and shit in the company and they're making a lot of money and they're very successful and stable and they're doing great. And to me, I was like, okay, so if I'm starting in this startup and now I'm perfectly at the right time, I got the right skill and I'm going to do a great job and really get invested and all that. 
And <laughs> I was telling all of my, my, my nightlife friends all about that. I was like, oh, I'm soon I'm going to get promoted and here's that and here's that. And they'd be like, okay, whatever, just be careful. And then that happened and I felt like, fuck, a promotion does not mean I made it because I'm still at the mercy of someone else. Just, I didn't feel safe. And I was like, fuck it. That's when I, again, because, you know, I stopped for like six months. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a good girl again. I'm going to focus on work. And then that fucked me over. I was kind of just waiting for an excuse, to be honest. Well, I wasn't waiting for, I wasn't aware that I was waiting for an excuse. But it's like, you know, like when you start working out and then as soon as one time it's like so inconvenient and you don't do it and you're like, ah, fuck it, you know. And that's what happened to me. And it was just like, ah, fuck it. I'm not even going to try anymore. Because it was the easier way out. And then one time, like, I came in late. I went out and I came in late. And somebody snitched on me that I was out the day before. So then they fired me from floor manager. But then they demoted me to closer. So they're like, you're not going to be a floor manager anymore because you're giving a horrible image of how an employee should be. Because you're talking back to us. And because you're not on time, which I understand. But like, anyways, like, fuck. I was like, wait, did you fire me? But you put me as closer. That's a demotion to you. I was like, wow, that is actually great. I never thought I was good enough to be a closer. But you think I'm good enough to be a closer and deserve a shot. And I'm supposed to be mad about that? (laughs) Fuck. I should have stopped giving a fuck a long time ago. And because I always wanted to be closer, remember? I, I mean, yeah, I like working with people, but I'm really an introvert and I'm really like, I have a lot going on in my own mind. And oftentimes I am on autopilot and like interaction with people. I didn't know how to protect my energy back then. And it would just like, I'm a very passionate person. I would either pour my energy onto you and then you feel great or you would pour your negative energy onto me and then I would feel bad. And sometimes you wouldn't even pour anything, but I am still absorbing people's energies. But I didn't I didn't even know. I just knew like people drove me nuts. So I was like, being a closer, this is amazing. All I need to focus on is one person at a time. Groups, I get overwhelmed. And then some people this, some people that, I just like, I shut down. But like, as a closer, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? And now I get to have a salary and now I'm closing on the phone Instead of meeting people face-to-face, because I didn't have a driver's license, so I couldn't even go to, like, do face-to-face, like, uh, meetings to sell, to close deals. And doing it on the phone, I was like, this is perfect. And I still get to keep my salary, my stability, and I still get to make huge commissions. Fuck yeah, this is amazing. And this is when it starts to get really interesting, because as soon as I got demoted according to them but promoted according to me like you see coming late sometimes is a good thing look where it led me (laughs) no 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 wait don't listen to my advice go go on time whatever do whatever the fuck you want so anyways that's like being promoted there I had to get trained to take these phone calls from the openers and close deals like hot leads on the phone that are 
Yeah, like either give me a great offer right now on the phone, I sign up with you, or I'm going to hang up the phone and that opener who just transferred the call to me after working that lead for so long to warm them up into listening to me. And I was an opener for the longest time. So I respect openers' times and the effort they put in. And I didn't want to fuck up that lead, you know? I know they built a relationship. It's not just about the leads. Like, they built a relationship. And I remember I would promise somebody. I would promise them. And I really meant it. I'm going to promise you. I'm going to save you a minimum of 25% of your invoice. Would that be worth listening to us for 30 minutes or whatever the fuck. I don't even remember what the pitch was. Anyways, and then they would listen. (laughs) But I promised them that I would save them money. So then I would beg the closers to give them a great price. And now I'm the closer and people's commissions depended on me. So I was like, oh my God, this is great. I love a great challenge. And um, I went to the closers, the sales manager, well, the sales president, whatever the fuck the role was. I don't even care. I don't even, I didn't even know. But anyways, that guy who trained me to become a closer and all that is now my husband. (laughs) Uh, Long story, but it's just so funny because that's when he started to like take calls and he was going to be like, he was a show off, like. He's being so, such a sweet talker to the ladies and closing all the deals back to back, back to back. And yeah, just very big dick energy. I was like, yeah, whatever. Sure. But I didn't really give it that much thought because I wasn't like, I I didn't care. I'm not a hunter. I am, I like to be chased and he's not a chaser. And he did not chase me. I was like, fuck him. I was almost mad at him. (laughs) So, but then, wait, I got to continue. So we're not going to talk about him. You see, that's why I don't like to bring him up because then I just talk about him. I'm going to continue before there was anything with him. At the office, my experience was far from romantic. So being part of the boys club now, I had access to conversations where I felt uncomfortable. I understand now that some people just have a bad sense of humor, but back then I wasn't sure how I felt or how to put words on it. I just knew that my bosses had no respect for women. So for example, as I am doing an interview, I was doing an interview with this woman, girl, so... Uh, whatever wait for example as i was doing interviews with women or girls they would make stupid comments like it was a an open office space and the conference room was like uh in the middle and it was also open like the the top of it was open it was just kind of cubicle separating the spaces but everything was open you can see the whole office if you stand up so they would yell across the office, like from their cubicle in the corner, sit on, which to them meant yes or no in reverse, say on. And no, they didn't mean hire her or not. They meant, would you fuck her or not? And I heard and I understood that while I was like sitting there with the girl, with the person. 
And sometimes it's an older woman that could be someone's grandma and they're just making fun of her. It's not even about fucking her. It's just, it's just like uh, condescending. I just, I felt like, yeah, like I didn't feel safe. And one time that really traumatized me was one time while well, I was becoming closer and I was a junior closer. So I wasn't the top priority to take hot transfers or hot leads and but one time all the closers like the top closers were busy so I was next to take that transfer and it happened to be um, a business owner like a woman with two restaurants two franchises and it's we call it a double location and I was freaking the fuck out because it was like one of my first closes and it happened to be double location I don't even know how to fill up an application and it's like a long application I don't know if anybody knows payment processing it's like seven seven pages on DocuSign click 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 and you have to initial different spaces and it's my first time using DocuSign and it's like two, I didn't know, do I have to do two applications? How does it work? There was nobody there to help me. And I just like, I stood up and like, I put the client on mute and I was like, Hey, it's a double location. Can somebody come help me? And I just yelled that because I'm used to everybody yelling. Right. And then somebody got up Well, my boss got up and said, it's a double location, just like a double penetration. You should, you should be used to it. <laughs> and everybody like they would mute their phones and everybody's laughing. They're basically making fun of me. And I just felt like I'm on the phone with a client and I'm trying to close this fucking deal. So I just zoned out like usual and I finished that. And I did it. I closed my deal and it was a double location and that I should have been so proud. And I think anybody should have like, I don't know, just not make me feel like that. I just knew that feeling I was feeling like I wasn't allowed to feel proud of my sale. I, I, it was overshadowed by somebody embarrassing me in front of the whole office saying shit like that. Because for somebody who doesn't know that there's just how they're joking, I sounded like, well, that made it sound like I do double penetrations left and right, which is not the case. And I'm not saying this as judgment. Like, I don't care if that's your thing, like do your thing. But it's just, I don't like judgment. I don't like that. And I think some people are in a position where they know you, you depend on them because I depended on my job and I didn't know <clears throat> I didn't know what to, like I worked hard to get there and I'm finally a closer and I finally learned how to do this and I don't know how I feel. I was just so overwhelmed and I just finished that and then I left the office. I just left. <laughs> I went downstairs. Whenever I shut down, I just shut down and I leave. <clears throat> like, look, I'm shutting down right now. My voice is leaving me. So let me take a break. I'm back. <laughs> so what I was saying, I left, I stormed from out of there and I was waiting for the elevator. Then Mario came in, the guy who was also my boss, because they were four owners, four partners and two best friends and two best friends, right? And one of the two best friends, <laughs> well, too bad, too good. Yeah, whatever. I don't want to differentiate them by nationality because that has just nothing to do with it. I just think I don't want to mix them up, you know. There were two good guys that were younger and then two other good guys that were a little bit older, but they had some bad habits of 
being condescending and embarrassing and just stupid. And But they, because they were older and they had two other partners who were younger, they thought that their shit don't stink. And they basically, although they're their partners, but they bossed them up too. You know, that does that make sense? And one of the two guys who were younger was Mariel. And when I stormed out, I wasn't aware of any of that. I just left. And then he followed me in the elevator and he's like, do you smoke cigarettes? I was like, no, thank you. And then he's like, could you just like, wait, I heard your call. That that was great. I heard the like the end of your call. That was great. You still left a couple initials, but I'm going to call your merchant and I'm going to like re-sign your DocuSign. You don't have to worry about it. And you're getting your bonus. And that was your first same day close. And that was amazing. Anyways, he just like, and I'm, I'm so easy. <laughs> I instantly, I'm like, Oof, yeah. But still, I still kind of like unloaded because I had a lot of shit. I was like, I'm so mad. Like, fuck this company. And I didn't really, I kind of put them all in the same, in the same box. Because to me, you're an owner. I don't know. I don't know your inner workings. I don't know that you also have your own issues to deal with. I don't know. To me, you're a boss. You have to have your shit together. Or like your other partner is your friend or whatever. I don't care. All of you are your partners. This is happening to me. Somebody's got to do something about it. But obviously that comes from my childhood. I'm not sure if you're seeing any similarities there. I just felt like there was something that was obviously wrong everybody saw it and nobody's doing something about it and you're telling me that you saw it and you know it's wrong and you're apologizing on the behalf of your partners but I'm still mad at you yeah you didn't do nothing but I'm still mad at you because you didn't do nothing fuck do something (laughs) somebody do something but I couldn't do anything. I didn't have the power or anything, but I just unloaded a little bit and he's kind of a sweet talker. So it just like made me unload, made me feel good. And then I went right back into the office. I was already calm by then. And then the boys were like, you know, the boys, the closers. They're like, you're being so sensitive. It's just a joke, everybody. It's just a joke. Toughen up. If you want to grow in this career and this business, sales, you got to be tough, you know? You got to grow thick skin. And I mean, I understand where they come from. And sadly, that's the reality of the corporate world. There's a lot that people, and especially women, we endure in silence in order to keep our jobs and keep climbing that ladder. So anyways, soon after that, I was already dissatisfied but I stayed at my job and I just minded my business. And after that one day, it was um, the office receptionist. It was her wedding and I was there and Mario was there and we had a couple of drinks and I kind of felt a little connection. I mean, something happened, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything. I mean, if you want, I can do like stories or something and tell it, but I don't want to, oh my God, this episode is so long already. I don't want to give you details. So, well, not about this. We can separate details about me and Mario after, but something happened. And before anything happened, he just like fucking like blue balls me, just, just like, uh, actually, um, no, I can't because I have this uh, shareholder agreements and uh, with my partners, 
and I can't get involved with any employees. And I'm like, what the fuck? I didn't even do anything. I didn't even say anything. You're the one showing me interest because I'm trying to say the least because there's a there's a breach of agreement there, but I'm not saying anything about it. <laughs> but there was nothing. And then you're like, it's like, You say, I want something, but I can't. But to me, that's a tease because forbidden love is like the sexiest love, you know? And I was like, fuck, I don't even, I don't even know if I like this guy, but now it's almost like, but that's my problem because I was attracted to problems and unavailable people. That was my problem. So could you like go figure how could I fall for like the wrongest person like usual And from that, he turned out to be the rightest person ever. He was kind of like a diamond in the rough. And I just like cleaned him up. And now he's like amazing. But he did the same to me. I was literally also a diamond in the rough. And then by getting together, we're both both like shining. But we're not one person. We're like our own person. But we're going to get there because for some time, we did become one person when we started our own business together, doing everything together. We did kind of become one person doing not the same thing, but like same mindset, same on the same page about everything, same opinions, same character. We're literally fucking 12 flames. We're the same thing. We're the same person, but we're different. Sorry. My God, I'm choking on my own saliva. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that happens. Uh, I'm a threat to myself. <laughs> uh, please, whoever is editing this, please edit this part out. Well, all the parts where I sound kind of retarded, please edit that out. So anyways, I'm just saying I was kind of teased and then I got rejected and I'm not used to getting rejected and I don't like getting rejected. I mean, I'm used to phone call rejection because those people don't know who I am. But in-person rejection, even if it wasn't even, I mean, yeah, I guess I was interested. But I was like, yeah, I'm always interested, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm not used to being rejected. So I was so pissed. And then other situations happened at work, like at the office with the other partners where I just felt like, oh my God, these guys are just going to keep hammering me because I just felt like a, a punching bag for all of their sexist jokes. It's like, like they had all of their stupid, condescending, like female and sometimes racist. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, oof, my God, I'm just going to pick my battles. Ew, I just felt like ew, 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 ew all day long. And then I would leave from there and then go to the work at the, at the club. And I, I felt great there. It's like there I'm valued and here I'm devalued. Is it both for, for the wrong reasons? It doesn't matter. It's just all that matters when you're living on autopilot is how you feel. And we keep pivoting based on how we feel in the moment and at the moment I felt disgusting at my day job and then I was like it was one day I just didn't feel like waking up of course I was like drinking every day because I'm like trying to not be present I was like avoiding my own life and then I was like I didn't want to wake up that's the truth 
I just like, ah, I don't feel like it. And my brain started working out excuses like usual. But now my brain is not working out excuses. My brain now, all it's saying is quit, 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 quit. <laughs> like there was no, I couldn't even talk myself out of it. It was just like, oh, okay. And then I sent them a text, all the four partners, I just sent a group text saying, hey, um, I don't feel like coming to work. I don't even remember what I said, but I said, you know what? I'm not coming in anymore. That's it. There's no, like, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. It was just, that's what I did. And (laughs) that same day, it happened to be Mario's birthday. Yes, I was aware, but it had nothing to do with it. I was just like, I mean, yeah, I guess it had something to do with it because my job as an ex-manager who's the only like feminine, I mean, yeah, no, there was other feminine figures, but not feisty. That's what I learned the word feisty because they would call me feisty. And I was like, what is that? At the time, oh yeah, it's true. eh? I didn't even speak English at the time. I only spoke French. And in this company, the owners, even the bad ones were English. And that's where like they would speak to me in English and I learned the corporate things in English. That's how I started to speak English. And then with Mario, I just like continued to speak English all the time because his French is just so cute. <laughs> like he sounds like a baby speaking French and it's kind of distracting, especially when we're having a serious conversation. So we just speak English and I wanted to practice my English and I'm really glad that happened. And by the way, the fact that I was like the sounding board for a lot of these uh, sexist jokes, it was kind of stored in their heads. And then as soon as I was there, they're like, perfect, here, take all the jokes, all the jokes. (laughs) But to them, they're just being funny. But to me, I was just like, ew, 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 ew. And I was... Well, now I'm like, well, I was thinking about it, going through it from my new perspective. I'm like, oh my God, how long is it going to take me before I quit? And it was really taking me a lot. It's not that I wasn't aware. It's that, you know, patience, patience is a a good, but sometimes it's a bad thing because the, the more patience you have, the longer, the more you endure certain things. And yeah, sometimes even your why, your motivation, the more motivated you are towards your goal, the more you endure the wrong things because you think that with time, you're still going to go. You keep, I was ignoring those things as if they weren't even happening. As they're happening, I am disconnected from them and just focused on the end goal, which is me continuing to grow or just getting as far as possible because the further I go, if I leave from there and I go to another company, I can maybe get a different role, if that makes sense. That's all I was thinking. Well, I wasn't even thinking much. I just was like, fuck that. I'm not going. Fuck that. I'll think about it. I'll find another job. I don't even know. I'm not doing that anymore. Maybe I'll start my own company. Because Mario was young. I remember at the time he was 23 years old. And I was like, how is he 23 years old? I think that's what was like intriguing to me about him. I was like, how is he 23 years old? And in this position, how are you a CEO at 23? How do you have mommy and daddy's money? (laughs) Do you have a trust fund? What do you do? Like, how did you get here? Is, I don't know, like how? And then he told me about their investors and they got a huge sum investment and that's how they got started. I was like, how do you even get investors? How do you find investors? How do you 
bitch investors how do you know even what to do to start a business and that's when he started to tell me these things but like as friends as well as I was working there and then as I was leaving I was like fuck I should have spent more time with him because now I don't even know I should have probably asked more questions before I left because <laughs> now I feel like I would have to go get another job where I can get more answers because it's kind of like the whole vision is a is a puzzle and I have pieces of the puzzle but I'm still missing some key pieces so I'm still not able to see the full vision and those key pieces I can only get from somebody who's more ahead of the game or through a lot of time so either I'm gonna ask somebody who's in the position I want to be in questions on how to get there and that can fast track it for me or I would have to basically put myself myself in a position where I could, where people, where some people around me are, they fit that avatar of where I want to be in the future. And I would just observe them and see how they behave and try to reverse engineer that. And how can I not mimic, but literally become or learn some of the skills and how they talk, how they walk, how they communicate, how they process emotions, how they defend themselves, how they stand up for themselves, like a lot of things. Because to me, sorry, I, it was like, yes, I didn't have my dad, but I also didn't have my mom. Like my mom, by the time I had time with her, because she was traveling the whole time. And by the time I had time with her, she was at her lowest. And I only knew wounded feminine energy so like I didn't even and my mom is super holistic health because she knows like some of the best doctors in Morocco who told her how they're not taking modern pharmaceuticals and how they're using natural herbs and holistic medicine and ancient um, like recipes natural recipes to heal their own kids these are the doctors and some of the best doctors who teach doctorship or whatever <laughs> to people you know so when it came to us, she was like cooking the healthiest shit. Maybe that's why I didn't like being in health and fitness because I was surrounded by that and my mom was forcing me to eat like healthy bread and healthy bread and healthy shit doesn't taste as good. And as a kid, I just wanted to eat kids shit like chocolate. I don't want dark chocolate. I don't want like healthy stuff and vegetables and all of that. But what was I saying that? Yeah, so, yeah, sorry about that. So I was saying my mom, my mom was the type of person who never wore makeup. She uses like natural musk as deodorant. And to her, she thinks, because some studies she knows, like she knows that deodorants cause some cancer in your glands and stuff like that. So I wasn't allowed having deodorant. And could you imagine how much I was bullied for fucking stinking up the shit? in school and everywhere because like I had to learn what deodorants work I had to learn like according to my mom tampons cause horrible shit and you had to like naturally bleed and I'm like whoa you know I'm a natural woman I'm wild but there's there's limits you know I still embrace technology and conveniency and why was I even saying that my god Maybe I should wrap up this episode. You know what? Yeah, this is my sign. I'm going to wrap up this episode. And in the next episode, I'm going to tell you my trajectory. Because this is how I went from 
quitting my job, not even knowing where, what am I going to do? What am I going to, am I going to get another job? What other job? How am I going to apply? I was feeling at, at my lowest and how I went from that to starting my first business. And <laughs> I mean, there's some spicy shit in there because my first business, I was basically competing with Mario. And that was, that was, yeah, like three months before we got married and how we got married and we didn't even celebrate like a wedding. We didn't, we just did it completely unconventional. It was, woo! (laughs) This is, um, this is definitely an unconventional story. So if you're somebody who ever felt like you don't fit in, you're not following a straight path or a pre-proven path or a path that is not agreeable on by society or stuff like that, I am definitely like, I, I just like, whew, like I didn't follow a path. I just, I don't even know what I'm doing, but it actually makes sense because where I'm at right now, I'm able to understand. And I'm sure you're able to see with me through this story how all those things didn't make sense but now they do make sense and I did learn certain things I was put in certain positions so that I can pick up certain things because now I'm aware of the corporate world I'm aware of problems like sexism I was exposed already to certain problems I was exposed to privilege I've been rich I've been poor I've been under the mercy of rich people. I've had riches or wealth through network. Well, me with my family, with everything, you know, everything just comes to like from each experience, there are lessons and individually they're not connected. Even my jobs, like my resume doesn't make sense. And after like years later, when I ended up hiring uh, an HR director to manage the recruitment and the HR department of my company. Cause now like, imagine I'm going from this to having my own corporation and we had 40 employees full time. We started with zero and over three to five years, we grew to four employees full time. We had a 65 square foot, square foot office that was gorgeous. I designed it myself. I basically, It's like every time I kept growing and I kept learning, um, it's like I would hit my ceiling and then I would surpass it again. It's like, and I would hit my ceiling and I would feel like, no, this is it. This is the goal. And then up until I have it and I'm like, no, this is not the goal. This was fake. This was an illusion and I'm just chasing it. That's like the rat trap, like I call it. But I think this is too long for this episode. So I'm just gonna stop it here. And I'm going to go have a drink. (laughs) And then tomorrow I'm going to record the next part, which is going to be much shorter, just about my experience in business and how I went from my first business to my second business to my other businesses and how I ended up where I'm at now, where I am only building intentional businesses and I'm intentional with my time, with my efforts, with my team, with my costs, with my mission, with my vision, with um, the impact, everything. I'm so intentional. And to be honest, it's not even a reality. It's not in the physical reality yet. It's all in my head. And this podcast is part of it because I feel like 
I want to go far. It's not about how much I have. It's about how long and how far, not how far. Well, I look at it backwards, right? So where I'm at now, this is my dream life five years ago. I wouldn't even have dreamed of it like years ago coming up and not even like five years ago, I wouldn't have even dreamed of where I'm at right now financially, spiritually, emotionally, in my relationship with my husband, with my family, with everything. I am at the best. I feel like I'm at the best place I've ever been. But at the same time, I feel like it's only getting better from here intentionally. And I want to take you through like zoom in on certain things of these spaces. And based on my story, you can ask me more questions on certain lessons or how my story, how you relate to it or how or not relate to it. But what kind of emotions does it trigger in you? What do you feel? What do you feel when you hear a story like mine? Do you feel like you relate to certain parts? What are they? Talk to me about it. Can you, I'm pretty sure some of you will release certain fears just based on having seen, because a lot of people don't even go past certain ceiling, but I just kept like shattering, like one ceiling after the other, after the other, sometimes unintentionally true. And sometimes I had privileges. I wasn't even aware that they were privileges and I took them for granted, but so do you. We all have privileges we take for granted. That's the whole point. A lot of things in my story, you can hear certain things and they're not a privilege in reality, but I mean, you could look at it, society would look at it as a bad thing, but to me, it served me good. Everything has served me good. All of it. All right, so I'm gonna stop rambling. See you next time.